So this morning I would also like to introduce you to Phil Sproul. I don't know where he is. Phil, there he is. Come on up. Phil and Tanya Sproul have been part of our church for a little while now, and you may have seen them on the at the door because they are on our welcoming team. Very welcoming faces. Thank you very much. So Phil and Tanya are working with MAF, Mission Aviation Fellowship, and at last minute during the week, Jeff asked Phil if he would like to preach this morning as we continue to just grieve and work with our loss in our family, and Phil jumped on it straight away and said he'd love to. So Phil's going to bring us our message this morning, so thank you very much, Phil. Thank you. I'll grab the lectern. Hey. <laughs> hey, well, thank you. It's a, it's a privilege to be able to bring... God's word to you today, and thank you, Laura, for doing the heavy lifting for me. <laughs> what a privilege it is to worship God, praise Him together with freedom. And Bianca, thanks for those words. I, I just hope that you reflect on the words you've already sung this morning. Um, they're pretty powerful prayer. Resurrender. Uh, it is well with my soul, and many others. And we've got some amazing worship to come yet. It's a, it is a privilege to be able to worship God with freedom. Last week, I wasn't here, but I listened to what Scott had to say. He reminded us that this is a great country. I do have a difference of opinion with him about it being the greatest country in the world. You see, Aotearoa, New Zealand, is a place where nothing actually wants to kill you when you go into the bush or into the water. It doesn't eat you or bite you or poison you. And so, you know, I think it takes a bit of beating although I acknowledge it's a place of much less convictions. Anyway, I might leave that there and let you decide for yourself uh, which is the greatest country in the world. At the Lakes, uh, we've gone through a series on Elijah, and that's just been completed as well. Isn't it been great to look into the book of Kings and learn about our unchanging God, who can be trusted, who listens to those who call on him, who cares, who provides in unexpected ways, who is always there even when we don't feel like it, and who is worthy of all of our lives and wants all of our worship. A God who does not change. And in a world where everything changes so quickly, to know an unchanging God is an incredible blessing. So if you know God today, as I do, let us be in awe that we can know him. And if you don't know him yet, please understand and know this. He wants you to know him so that you can have that unmovable, unchanging God as your rock too. As Laura has already alluded to, this world has changed drastically again this week. The awful consequences of polarized opinions resulting in terror, war and suffering. We see that on the world stage, but we don't have to look far around us, do we, to see strongly opposed opinions in our nation, in our community, and unfortunately sometimes in our families. As followers of Jesus, we know that he wants so much more for this world. That's why he came and gave his life on the cross, so that we could know so much more. We're here to represent him and to show his love to the world that he's placed us in. To respond appropriately in our daily lives to all that is happening. And if we're going to do that, it's important that we consider 
and know what God says about humanity, it's important that we search our own hearts about what we believe and repent of anything that is not of God and align our minds with God's perspective so that we can honour him with our whole being and show Jesus' love to this world. As we look at the world and all that is going on, we need to take care to separate out the people of this world. They are the objects of God's longing and love. That is something that's indisputable. We need to take care to separate out the people of this world from all the bad, mad, and sad stuff that is going on. And you know what? It's a biblical worldview that helps us to do that. The biblical worldview is always relevant, and it helps us to do this. And I'd like us to look at four core things from the Word of God today to see what it teaches us about humanity and remind us of the intrinsic value and worth of every single human being in this world. And I trust and I pray that as we do this today, our worldview will be grounded not in our experiences, not in our past, not on our opinions, but on the truth of God's word, so that we can honour him and see his love taken to our world. May the Holy Spirit renew my mind and your mind today as he continues his transformational work in us. Lord, we thank you for this opportunity to open your word. Lord, I pray that you'll continue to speak to me and to each of us today about the things that you want us to do so that your love can be shown to every single person that you bring us into contact with. In Jesus' name, amen. I mean, wonder what your worldview is. You know, our worldviews are shaped by what we believe and by what we value. So I want to ask you two questions. What do you believe and what do you value? What do you believe? You and I have told others this week exactly what we believe by our actions and by our words. I wonder what it said. How have we thought about, acted towards or spoken of other people this week? Has it all reflected our God? We live in a really broken world. We know that. I don't think we need to be reminded of that. Opinions are shared and aired more quickly than we can read or think, and many opinions are shared before people think. Um, And these words often cause destruction. They just come straight from the heart when they're reactions. They reveal and unmask the real us. What we say and what we do comes from the very core of our being and what we believe. And guess what? What we don't say and what we don't do also comes from the core of what we believe. Both what we commit and what we omit tell others what we believe. There was an English preacher, a Mr. Frank Borum, whose first pastorate was in Mosgiel, Dunedin in 1895. I don't know what he did wrong, but he got sent to Mosgiel. It's okay, it's in the South Island in New Zealand. It's a pretty cold place. Anyway, he was a writer as well. In one of his books, he writes this. In the General Confession of the Church of England prayer book, 
the clause, we have left undone things that we ought to have done, comes before or precedes the clause, we have done the things that we ought not to have done. And he goes on to point out that there's a really radical difference between the villains, the bad guys in the parables that Jesus told, and the villains, the bad guys in all other sort of literature. In a typical novel, story, great film even, the villain is the person who does what they ought not to do. They're the baddie. They're doing lots of really bad stuff. But in the parables that Jesus tells, the villain is the person who leaves undone what they ought to have done. He quotes John Seeley, The sinner whom Christ denounces is he who has done nothing. Think about it. The story of the good Samaritan, the priest, the Levite, who passed on the other side. The rich man who allowed the beggar at his gates needs to go unattended. The servant who hid his talent in the ground and did nothing. Christ's villains are people who sin against the person and the principles of the Most High, who don't do what they ought to do. And Christ barely mentions the people who commit things. I wonder what do our silence or our inaction tell others about what we believe? Second question, what do you value? What do you really, really value? And why? Back in the 1800s, there was a Danish philosopher called Soren Anyway, Soren K, let's call it that. He told a story of thieves who broke into a jewellery store. Now, these thieves broke into the jewellery store, and they left, and they didn't take anything. That's kind of weird, isn't it? But you know what they did when they were in the jewellery store? They swapped all the price tags. They took the price tags off the expensive jewellery, and they put it on the costume or the common jewellery. And you know what, Soren said he thought that really described his country back in the 1800s really well. We live in a world where someone has rearranged the price tags. And are we able to distinguish between what is priceless and what is commonplace? Between that which really counts and that which doesn't matter? Are we valuing what really matters? Or have we been deceived by price tags that have been swapped. I'm going to suggest that much of the bad, mad and sad sort of stuff going on in our world, greed, hate, racism, favoritism, sexism, narcissism, national, lots of isms that we see around us are the result of deception, of people not knowing what is of real value. So let's take a look at the four core things Sorry, four core things. There's lots more things the Word of God tells us, but four core things the Word of God teaches us about humanity so that we don't get deceived by swapped price tags, the work of the devil, and we understand and grasp them, align our beliefs with biblical perspective so that we can live as God wants us to. First one, all humanity is created by God in his image. Everyone in the image of God. In Genesis chapter 1, verse 27, we read, God created mankind in his image. 
In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. And then in chapter 5, when God created humankind, he made them in his likeness. Male and female, he created them. In the beginning, God created all humanity. We are made in his image. Paintings are really valuable because an artist signs them. The art speaks of them. And every human life, every human life, even the ones that we have seen on our TV today, this week, committing unheard of atrocities, every human life has the signature of God upon it. It's not valuable based on its ethnic group, what we're part of, what we have done, but because of who made us and whose image we bear. Every human being bears the image of God. Number two, all humanity is broken and in desperate need. Whilst we're made in the image of God for relationship with him, sin, swap price tags, has separated people from him. Everyone is broken and in need of a saviour. In Ecclesiastes 7 verse 20 we read, Surely there is not one righteous person on earth who does good and never sins. In Romans chapter 3, verse 10, we read, No one is righteous, not one. No one understands or seeks God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. We have all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Humanity is broken and in need of help. The depravity of humanity is not something anyone will debate in this room, I am sure. We all know that deep down, we're capable of some pretty terrible things too. All tribes, all peoples, all languages, all nations are broken. And it's really easy to point out other people's sins, but it's humbling to realise that we are all broken together. John Piper, preacher, puts it this way, if we saw more clearly two things, if we saw this more clearly, two things would happen. We'd be humbled and frightened and made more desperate, like a child who wants to find their mother when they're lost in the store. We'd be brokenhearted and humbled if we realised how broken we are together. The other thing that would happen is if we saw that we are all united in sin, is that the sins of others, the things that we think are abhorrent, would look more like the outworkings of our hearts and would be slower to judge and quicker to show mercy. The doctrine of total depravity, that we can do nothing for ourselves, that we are all broken, has a huge role in humbling us all and giving us, all of humanity, a desperate camaraderie of the condemnation that we have, leading to the one and only Saviour, Jesus Christ. Our brokenness as humanity actually unites us. Number three, salvation of humanity is by the blood of Christ alone. God loves humanity so much that he sent his son Jesus Christ. We've just celebrated or remembered his death together. He sent him to redeem us, to make it possible for us to know him, through faith in Christ alone, by his grace, and through no merit of ours. 
Christ's blood is sufficient for every single person to come to know him. In Romans chapter 3, verse 22, we read, The righteousness of God through faith in Christ Jesus is for all who believe. There is no distinction. In Ephesians chapter 2, we read this, For God, who is rich in mercy, loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when Christ was raised from the dead. It's only by God's grace that you have been saved. So God can point to us in all future ages as examples of the incredible wealth of his grace and kindness toward us, as shown in all he has done for us who are united with Christ Jesus. God saved you by his grace when you believed, and you can't take credit for this. It is the gift of God. Salvation is not a reward for good things we have done so that none of us can boast about it. Salvation is a gift not earned or redeemed by birthright or status. Not only has God created us, but he's redeemed us all at a high price. Made in his image, signed by him and bought by him, every human being is of infinite worth. The God we worship, the saviour we praise, gave the ultimate sacrifice so that every person who comes across our path can know him. He gave his life so that every tribe, language, nation can be saved. Number four, one day, one day every tribe and every nation will gather around the throne of God and worship him. In Revelation chapter nine, sorry, chapter five, verse nine, we read this. They sang a new song saying, worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals for you were slain and by your blood you ransomed for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom of priests to our God and they shall reign on the earth. What a day that will be. In Revelation chapter seven, verse nine, we read this. After this, I looked and behold, a great multitude that no one could number was there from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the lamb, clothed in white robes, with palm branches in their hands and crying with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the lamb. At the end of the ages, The glory of God is ultimately made known and celebrated when people from every race proclaim it together. In the beginning, God created humanity. We're made in his image. All humanity is broken. Salvation is a gift. And at the end of the ages, God will ultimately be made known and celebrated by every race. These beliefs, grasped and understood, don't allow for the fruit of racism or any other form of discrimination to develop. You know, belief systems that say we're here by chance, by natural selection and survival of the fittest, those belief systems allow elitist attitudes, entitlement, preferential status to flourish. Karma is kind of similar, you know. It provides grounds for discrimination. Where we are on the merit of what we have done, it's earned. It comes from a life that depends on humanity. But that is not 
what the Word of God teaches us. So in light of these four core truths from God's Word, how should we be living? Well, I reckon we should be pretty excited, to be honest, that by the redeeming power of the Holy Spirit, we can live in freedom that these truths bring. Having the signature of God, being redeemed by Christ's blood, having faith in him, eternal life starts now. A life that does not end and a life that will result in us not just singing great as we were here, but with thousands upon thousands upon thousands honouring God's name together. This morning, there's quite a few nations in this room. Indian, Swiss, Papua New Guinea, South African, Australian, New Zealand, British, probably many others as well. But guess what? That's only a really small glimpse of what is to come. Let's live excitedly in the light of these truths. Also, let's live us live very alert to the fact that the devil doesn't want us to remember these things. And he will try any which way to get us to act otherwise so that our actions and our words portray what we believe. Don't, sorry, don't show what we believe. He's trying to prevent people from understanding that we have a gracious, compassionate God. The devil is the thief who continually rearranges the price tags in the jewellery shop. So let's keep grounded in the word of God so that we don't get deceived. And let's live humbly as fallible human beings, knowing that none of us is perfect. So when someone offends us, someone does something that we don't like, we can search our hearts and ask God to reveal the things in our lives, remember who they are and treat them with respect. Calvin Miller was a theologian and seminary professor, and he wrote in a book, In the Depths of God, this thing here, and I love it. There's four primary ways we deal with people who are around us. Four ways we often deal with them. One is we can idolise them. Many people idolise others. That's fairly self-explanatory. They worship people, usually they get let down by them, but we can idolise people. The second thing we can do with people is to demonise them. They do something I don't like, say something I don't like, let someone be here that I don't like. I can demonise them. For any reason we don't like them, we can put a person in negative light. The third thing we often do is we utilise people. We use them. You know, oh, I can use that person. And unfortunately, we often exploit people. But the fourth and the best thing we can ever do is to humanise every person around us. What do I mean? See who they are, made in the image of God. We can, with Christ's help, see that people who are different to us, who have different opinions to us, even our enemies, are real, live human beings for whom Christ died. Call no person worthless for whom Christ died. When we see everyone in the image of God, We see humanity as God sees them. Every person who I meet, who I interact with, or just see, is created in the image of God, is in desperate need of a saviour, no matter how together their lives look. Every person I meet is loved by Jesus Christ, who gave his life and shed his blood for them. 
And every person that I meet and you meet could be part of that great multitude standing around the throne of God, praising him in days to come. If that is what I believe, how will I act and speak this week? Will God's heart rejoice or break as he sees how we treat every person in our lives in the coming week? Polarization, racism, discrimination are a result of deception, the price tags being rearranged. The words I say, the actions I take or neglect to take will teach those around me whether I understand and see people as God sees them or not. You know what? A slight, a racist or sexist joke, gossip, not addressed, equates to acceptance. I used to work in quality and safety, and a favourite saying of auditors and investigators is this, we set standards by what we choose to ignore. We read in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 11, Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness. Instead, expose them, for it's shameful to even mention what people do secretly. In Proverbs chapter 31, we read this, Speak out for those who cannot speak, for the rights of all the destitute. Speak out, judge righteously, defend the rights of the poor and needy. Micah 6 verse 8, He has shown you, O mortal, what is good, and what does God require of you? To act justly, to do what is right, to love mercy, realize that people are fallible and broken, and to walk humbly with your God. You know what? We don't need any change to our laws and constitutions as Christians, to act like this, we have the word of God that gives us the imperative to treat every person as God would have us treat them. He calls us to speak out. Everyone in the image of God, we have a role to play to put the price tags back in the right place, to tell people that God values them and loves them. And you know what? That's an exciting role. We should be excited about that. The good news of the gospel is not an ideology, but a message of supernatural power that brings transformation in lives of those who will accept it. So I wonder, how will you respond this week and what has God said to you? I'm going to ask that we just uh, take some time to respond. The team's going to come up, but we're going to be quiet as well. Are there any attitudes that I need to repent of that are not of God? Let us ask God to align our hearts and minds with his and for a fresh understanding of his great love. 2 Corinthians 5 verse 14 Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. He died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves but for him who died for them. And was raised again. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly 
point of view. That means everybody in this room. That means everybody in our workplace. Everybody in our neighbourhood. Everybody in the shopping mall. Every person I come across this week. May God enable us to be honest before him. To humble ourselves that every prejudice is confessed and any sin that holds us back is thrown off so that we can live excited, alert, humbly and with joy this week. Come on up team. Hebrews chapter 12. Let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning at shame, and sat down at the right hand of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Christ's love compels us to do what, my brother and sister, today? Shortly we're going to sing Broken Vessels. One of the verses in this is, You take our failure, you take our weakness, You set your treasure in jars of clay. So take this heart, Lord. I'll be your vessel, the world to see your life in me. May the world see his life in us this week.